Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Bench Mop here on the 48 Minutes Basketball Network podcast. I am very excited as we continue our preview of the lottery. Last week we had our good friend Philip Ross and Reich on uh, to talk about the magic. And now we have in our friend, been a while since he's been on the show, Ryland Styles of Locked on Thunder and Thunderous Intentions to talk about the second and 12th pick. And I guess we'll probably talk a little about the 30th pick as well. So Ryland, how are you, man? Doing good. Always excited to talk draft with you. Yeah, it's um, obviously, I think if there's any team to talk to draft, it's the Thunder, right? The Thunder and the Pelicans with how they've just stocked draft picks over the years. Um, So the Thunder, obviously, with the second pick, the 12th pick, and the 30th in this year's draft. uh, Prod up, obviously, anywhere you look, you're probably going to see one of two names there in that second pick, depending who Orlando takes uh, for two. uh, Guys like Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith. Uh, our guys that pop up there. I've seen a couple of Palo Bancaros, but it's not as popular as these two names. Obviously, if you look through the premises of the draft, uh, but when you look at where OKC sits, how do you feel in this draft having one of those? Obviously, having the second pick is always great. Um, you know, getting Kevin Durant with the second pick at one point was pretty cool. Um, maybe not so much now, I guess, but uh, overall, you know, obviously a good a good place to sit, especially having another lottery pick. Yeah, it's great being at two. I'd still say the Kevin Durant thing was pretty great considering the nine-year stretch that the Thunder went on with him. I'd, you know, you'd probably trade everything. If you told me that we'd have another Kevin Durant in this year's draft class and it in the exact same way, I'd sign the dotted line right now to go to a couple uh, conference finals and the NBA finals and all that happened with his tenure in OKC. Oakley, but getting the top three was very important for OKC, especially whenever you consider the number four player, likely Jay Nivey, Question marks on how he fits with Josh getting SGA to where once you get in that top three, the fit moniker kind of goes away with these bigs kind of fitting with OKC uh, in, a, in a better way than a, than a ball dominant guard. Yeah, I um, actually saw the Thunder in person this year at one point. My wife's family lives up in Cleveland, so I went and saw the Cavs play. And it so happened to be a Saturday night there playing OKC. So I got to see Josh Giddy in person for the first time and was very impressed. He was obviously... So I didn't know what to think when he came in because it was like everything that came out during the draft was like weaknesses are shooting, passing, defense, this like rebounding, dribbling. And I'm like, what, what is he good at in this case? And it turns out everything. Turns out he's good at everything just about. Yeah, good at everything. And he's got to get the shot back up. He's going to work on that this offseason uh, in L.A. and Australia with uh, Thunder assistant coach Mike Wilkes. And I Change his jump shot to what extent? Uh, it sounds like it's going to be minor changes where you can barely notice it, but we'll see what happens come summer league, which he's committed to playing in for the Utah circuit for OKC come July 5th. So we'll see if his jump shot looks any different from the end of the year. You also got to watch him fight Kevin Love. That was fun in Cleveland. But yeah, Josh Giddy blew us all away with his elite playmaking. Uh, and I think that he has the frame to be a very solid, versatile defender if he locks it on that end of the floor. But that playmaking... 
can really be used, especially with these bigs who can shoot like a Jabari Smith and a Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren uh, shot nearly 40% from three. Jabari Smith Jr., of course, shot over 40% from three. Uh, so these two guys fit perfectly with his playmaking to get them involved off ball. Obviously, like I said, those are probably one of those two is likely to be the person that falls to OKC. Um, I, I, you know, it seems more and more you read. It sounds more and more like Jabari Smith and Orlando seem to be more kind of keen and attached to each other. So let's say it does drop to a Chet Holmgren situation where he's the guy you get it to, which obviously is not a loss by any means, the talent level, the skill set. Um, but what does he bring to an OKC team that, you know, obviously we know about as far as like the rim presence, the ability to shoot threes being seven feet tall and I'm sure you've heard a million times, well, he's got to put on weight, what NBA lottery draft pick didn't need to, very rare, uh, except for, I guess, Zion Williamson. But it's kind of a really unique situation with him uh, as far as like his skill set, what he brings in his body frame. So what do you expect from, what would you expect from a guy like Chet Holmgren if it just so happens to be he's the guy that drops at two to OKC? You know, he kind of fits what the Thunder have been looking for. I mean, they took the shot on Pokashevsky to see if he can become a, sh- a, a, a diamond in the rough on a, seven foot versatile playmaker i mean ever since the thunder hired mark as the head coach they've been looking for one through five to be able to be playmakers and uh, run with the ball in uh, transition off rebounds things of that nature so you get a seven foot playmaker that sam Presti desperately wanted uh, so much so that he traded up to get pokashevsky in that draft uh, to make sure he got his guy and it was one of the only drafts we've seen sam Presti reveal his cards months before the draft that he wanted poku and went and got him so it's clear that sam Presti envisions this version of basketball being the next evolution. And remember the last time the Thunder were, built, were building a core, they messed up the evolution. They picked Serge Ibaka to, to start to build around. Well, it's not as cut and dry as picking Ibaka over Harden. It is it is an example of who would have thought when he traded Harden that he'd become an MVP, but also that Serge Ibaka's style of play would be outdated where Serge Ibaka had to go reinvent his game elsewhere and eventually did win a title in Toronto as a stretch big. But in general, you saw last time around, the Thunder were behind the curve a bit on the three-point evolution. They're trying to get ahead of the curve a bit on this versatile one through fives playmaking and switching and uh, doing everything on both sides of the floor. So uh, I think that Chet Holmgren fits in with that. He has risk, of course, anytime that you're taking a guy who we've never seen produce. It was the same thing with taking Pokoshevsky. We've never seen a seven-foot ball handler before in the NBA produce big time. We've never seen a seven-foot guy be a point guard at the seven-foot stature before. That's scary, but Chet Holmgren does have the Uh, versatility to do so and even if his role turns into just keeping the offense in rhythm and not necessarily being a floor general or an offense initiator that's still very good for him considering his ability to score at the rim and his ability to shoot from three he wants to be a 50 40 90 guy Uh, if he can do that obviously that'll play in the nba even if you're not being the the lead ball handler or lead initiator on offense so playing through the post with him is something the thunder would want to do Uh, i showed some clips on twitter of him playing through the post at gonzaga the thunder did that a ton without horford where they kind of uh, allow Al Horford to distribute the ball from the top of the post to a cutting SGA. And in different circumstances there, they can get back to that with Chet Holmgren. I think that the fit is really good. And if any team is equipped with the with the developmental team and the developmental kind of situation to develop Chet into what he can become, I would trust the Thunder almost, almost, over almost anybody. Sands, you know, Miami, Toronto, team Memphis, teams like that are also in that elk of guys that can really develop players, but the Thunder are right up there as well. So as far as Chet, it is nerve wracking, but I think it's a shot worth taking because if he becomes his ceiling player, it's somebody we've never seen in the NBA before. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously the fits there is really well, um, and that's really what's impressive. It seems like if you look kind of more later on, so obviously they have that 12th pick because the Paul George trade for the Clippers, um, which 
looks better and better for the Thunder every day. Um, it kind of seems like the name's kind of going around there. Guys like Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, who I really like a lot. Uh, Jeremy Sokan from Baylor is a guy who's really popping up. Is there anyone in particular you have in mind there that you could see kind of popping up in that range that you're excited about the prospect of playing for, for the Thunder? The draft has a consistent theme this year from 1 through 60 of razor thin. I think that the top three are razor thin. I think that you can convince yourself of Jabari Smith being the best player like I have. He's my number one on my board, but you can also talk yourself into Chet or Paolo being the number one overall player. I've seen some have Jay Ivey at number one in this draft. The difference in these prospects are not very wide. So it makes drafting even harder, but also makes predicting the draft even harder. So for the Thunder at 12, Dyson Dan would be a great get for the Thunder, but you could see him rise up to six come draft night or five come draft night even. So it's hard to peg the range, but it's it's around the same names. If a Dyson Daniels falls, Johnny Davis, as you mentioned, uh, A.J. Griffin falling due to medical history could be a thing that happens. Or even uh, in the draft, he doesn't have to share his medicals with everybody. So he does have a form of leverage in this system that you usually as a player don't get leverage in. He can just choose not to give his medical history to every team and therefore scare them off of drafting him and kind of manipulate things where he goes to the team he wants to go to. I'm not sure he's going to take that route. I doubt he'll take that route, but it is an option available to him in a system in which you don't really have much leverage if you're a player. You're just going to get thrown into the draft and whoever takes you, takes you. He does have a form there. Benedict Matherin can fall. I don't think Keegan Murray will fall, but he's an option. And then Jalen Duran might be the perfect uh, combo with Chet. It sounds yes. weird as they're both playing centers, but you look what the Celtics do with Rob Williams and Al Horford and how they play defense together. That's kind of what I envision Chet needing eventually in his career. Now, does he need that as a rookie? No, because the Thunder want to lose games. It doesn't matter. But I think peak of their powers when the Thunder are trying to win a championship, that defensive style should mimic what the Celtics are doing right now with, with Rob Williams and Al Horford playing together. I'm sure you get this question a million times as a Thunder fan, so please do not get mad at me. Um, do you see any case possible where they combine 12 and 30 to move up? I think that they could try. The Thunder are very comfortable taking four players, which I don't think that a lot of people have kind of woken up to yet because they have 15 NBA deals in place that they'll have to navigate through. And some of those are team options that they can get rid of come, uh, come June 29th. Uh, but if they see four guys that they, that they think are valuable at their four slots, they're going to draft four players. And I think that that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of just thinking the Thunder have to uh, trade or consolidate these picks they're comfortable moving on from guys like tell maladon isaiah roby or whoever ty jerome or whoever to uh ensure that they have the best players that they think that they can have in this year's draft class but if i was betting i do think that they trade some of these picks however specifically from going up from 12 again it goes back to that razor thin edge if i list off these names and you stop me whenever you don't like a guy i go from aj griffin benedict matherin keegan murray jalen duran jeremy sohan dyson daniels johnny davis uh, Usman Diang, Akai Baji, Mark Williams, Jaden Hardy. You know, so, someone has to be there at 12. You can't take all of them before 12. So you're going to get value at 12. It's just a matter of uh, who it is and who falls to you. And that's not even factoring in a possible draft day surprise of a team just falling in love with somebody like a guy that I think is rising right now in Malachi Branham. If they just fall in love with him and he shoots up to the top 11, well, then someone's bound to fall to you at that point. So moving up specifically from 12, uh, might not be the route. It might be combining 30 and 34 and taking, say, Dallas's pick in the 20s as Dallas has been rumored to wanting to, to trade that draft pick. Uh, so that could be an option as well. I'm not sure it's specifically going to move up from 12, but I do think that some draft night trade will happen in OKC. I do love the idea of Jalen Duran and Chet Holmgren together now that you've said it. 
It's something like I got to. So I cover our local schools, which anyone who listens to the show probably hears me say all the time. I got to see Jalen Duran play in person this year because uh, he because Cincinnati and Memphis are in the same uh, conference and he's Superman. Like athletically, he is Superman. Um, I asked some scouts like why he's not going higher. And a lot of it was like, you know, ethic and he's got some laziness to him. Um, but like athletically, he can jump out of the gym and they're like, if he put it together, he'd be a top 10 pick. Um, something where I know like the Knicks will probably be really interested in him. But yeah, if that so happens that they have a situation where they can get Chet Holmgren and Jalen Duran, I will probably have them atop my league pass team list very right, immediately at the start of the season. Yeah, I think that no matter what happens in this draft, there's just too much talent. Well, I know there's no Cade Cunningham, no Zion, no like surefire star. There is yeah. a lot of talent in this draft class, though that no matter what the Thunder do, the Thunder specifically are going to walk away with a fun team after the draft. They're going to have a Chet, a Jabari, Apollo type of player. Then they're going to have a guy who you love in the late lottery. And then knowing the Thunder, they're going to draft some uh, stud in the second round at pick 34 or, or a great guy at the end of the first at pick 30, as they did last year, trading up for Jeremiah Robinson, who became a huge player, getting Aaron Wiggins at pick 55 last year. They're really good at drafting top to bottom this draft. And so I think you walk away with these shiny new rookies after the draft, you combine that with SGA, with Trey Mann, with Josh Giddy, and you've got yourself a very, very fun team in OKC, even though being so young, it, it will not lead to wins in the NBA. Yeah, a guy like Dalen Terry from Arizona, I like a lot in the second round. Uh, I think he could be a really good fit. Josh Minow, also from Memphis. Maybe if they don't end up getting Duran, that could be a guy they could look at there. So, yeah, I definitely agree. There's a lot of – there isn't, like, superstars, but there's depth, and I think that's one of the things that, like, is the best about the NBA draft compared to other sports is – that circumstance, I guess, except for baseball, but that's like 7,000 rounds. So, you know, finding a guy in the 30th round is not likely um, as it is as finding a guy in the second round in the NBA, obviously. So you kind of mentioned a few guys there, and I wanted to bring this up real quick. So kind of getting an idea. And this is obviously projections from spot track, but kind of talking about the Thunder situation. Obviously, the dead money is the Kimba Walker contract that they took on from the Celtics. Uh, looks like they've got a little bit of cap space here. Um, like you said, this is a team that's not necessarily in the rush to win. They're trying to build a foundation. They're trying to bring guys together. This is a guy like Chet Holgrim and like all these draft picks we discussed and these younger guys, these Josh Giddies, SGAs, Trey Manns, Darius Baisley to an extent. I had to throw him in there. He's from my hometown. Um, so what does this Thunder core look like and what is something they look to add after the draft potentially for this team? Yeah, I love Darius Baisley. My listeners know that I call him building block Baisley after the bubble uh, yeah, hasn't really lived up to the bubble stuff yet, but I still believe in Darius Baisley. Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting offseason. I, I don't believe the Thunder want to take on long-term money, which will be a, sh a shock to the NBA fan who are just used to, hey, let's dump off our big contracts to OKC. I think the Thunder, the Thunder want to keep their 2023 cap sheet very clean as there's the new CBA. And then if you get your draft picks right this year, then you'd have a core that would be ready to have a more win-now type of mindset come the 2023 offseason. Uh, so I think that they want to keep their options open for 2023. As you mentioned, the Kimball Walker uh, $27.4 million comes off the books after this year, as does Kyle Singler's million dollars, which is only a good joke for the Thunder fans listening. But uh, he's owed a million dollars this year in dead cap to not play for the team and has for like 5,000 years. That comes off the books now. So 2023, you're literally only paying SGA $32.9 million. And then everybody else is on their rookie contract, uh, except for you're going to need to extend Lou Dort uh, if you want to. Uh, you know, he's doing an extension and then Darius Baisley is doing an extension as well. But everybody else uh, that you want to keep around is on a rookie deal already. So that really helps things out in 2023. As far as the core right now, uh, Josh Gideon and SGA are the two untouchables. I love uh, building also your bench around 
Trey Mann. Uh, I love Jeremiah Upsnell and Aaron Wiggins. And then you have Kenny Hustle there as a culture setter, a locker room guy, uh, which Antonio Daniels is former NBA player and top four pick in the NBA was on Lockdown Thunder last week and talking about how important it is to not just go all in on drafting a bunch of 20 year olds. They need somebody there to show them how to be a professional. Kenny Hustle does just that at age 28 and has been uh, a culture setter already in OKC. Uh, Mark talked about how he was very important uh, building a locker room for the COVID environment to make sure everybody was going to their tests on time and going through that process very well. But uh, the we, the reason I say the Thunder would be open to taking four players is because you look at how they can get rid of guys. Tell Maldon is only guaranteed partial of his $1.9 million. Isaiah Roby's on a 1.9 club option. Uh, you have Mike Muscala on a 3.5 club option. You have Ty Jerome, who's only owed $4 million. It's easy to waive that or do whatever you need to do to get him off the roster. In that case, you can even take it off the top of this year's cap space uh, and not move it into next year, especially if you don't want to move uh, move into next year's cap space in terms of taking on a bigger trade. And then, of course, Derek Favors with his $10 million and expiring deal. We know how we know how we know how valuable expiring contracts are in the NBA. Can you trade him in a second and just clear your roster spot of Derek Favors and move on? Uh, or do you just let him sit on the bench again next season and just chill as he's okay with doing, as he mentioned in his exit interview? So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat here and get four open roster spots. So that's why I feel confident uh, from what I'm hearing that the Thunder would take four players if they think that there's four draftable players at each, at, you know, at, at their slot. So uh, that's kind of what the core looks like to me. I think that your core is for sure SGA, Giddy, and Trey Mann. And then depending on the Lou Dort contract situation, uh, him as well, because you cannot really find a player like Lou Dort just laying around a guy who can shut down James Harden as a rookie and has only gotten better since then uh, getting back in the postseason. Well, I hear that uh, there's a former Thunder guard that's making a lot of money that could potentially be an expiring contract next year. Um, you know, played for a fair share of teams over the past few seasons, but won an MVP in Oklahoma city, you know, like what about that guy? Yeah, this is an interesting look at it because it really just doesn't make a ton of sense for the thunder, especially with the Lakers grandstanding of not wanting to attach assets to them. Now, if the Lakers give you their 2027 pick or, or 2026 pick, whatever one that they have available uh, attached to Russell Westbrook and you only owe him for next season, Sure. Yeah. Sure. You take that because the Lakers could very well be in disarray in 2027. It looks like they're going to be in disarray right now. Uh, so it comes down to this. Number one, coming off of what was viewed as a bad season, I think was not as bad as what it's being made out to be. But you play in LA, you don't miss, make the playoffs, you play with LeBron, it's going to get heightened. Coming off what's viewed as a bad season and missing the playoffs whenever you had championship aspirations and being told that you're washed up and no good and not worth anything, blah, 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 blah. I don't view Russell Westbrook as the kind of guy who's content just sitting on the bench and mentoring young guys and being Nick Collison. He was in OKC for Nick Collison doing that. It got Nick Collison's jersey retired on top of being a very good player that people kind of overlook. But still, uh, he was he's seen what it's like being a player coach. He's not a Udonis Haslam type right now. Despite the jokes, despite being 34 years old, he's going to have a good season somewhere next year, I think. And I don't think it's an OKC mentoring guys because the Thunder specifically, you need SGA to touch the ball a ton. You need Josh Key to touch the ball a ton. You need Chet Holmgren to touch the ball a ton. Not to mention Trey Mann, not to mention the other guys that we've talked about and whoever you draft at 12 or 30 or 34. So Russell Westbrook's not in that stage to just come off the bench and be a mentor. I also don't believe that he'd want to negotiate a buyout because I think that whenever you do that, you're then perceived a certain way around the NBA. Right or wrong, if, if, he, if he threw the Thunder a bone and decided to bring his number from... 47 million down to 20 something million or whatever it ended up being on a buyout. Now you're a free agent in the worst possible way. 
And you never recover from that. Carmelo Anthony hasn't recovered from that. Do I think Russ is better than Melo was whenever Melo got bought out? Yes. But still, it just changes the entire perception of who you are as a player whenever you are now in a, a buyout candidate for your career. So that's why guys are kind of afraid to, or scared to do that. What's happened to Kimball Walker after the buyout uh, with OKC? He easily fell out of that Knicks rotation. They're not investing anything in you. You're a buyout guy that they brought in uh, almost for free. So that's where I don't think he wants a buyout. I don't think he wants a mentorship role. So where's the fit in OKC outside of the first round pick? Uh, the first round pick would be great, uh, but you've got to do risk versus reward because also, as you mentioned, being a Thunder legend, you're not going to want to make him pissed off for this last for for one first round pick for one year. So you don't want to just kind of put him in a role he's not comfortable in and ruin your relationship there with him whenever you already have one of your star players and a fractured relationship with Kevin Durant. So it just doesn't make a ton of sense when you start adding up this laundry list of stuff. If Russ came out and said, I want to go to OKC, I want to give them an amazing deal on a buyout, and I want to get them a first-round pick, okay, sure, whatever, do it. Uh, but until that day comes, and if he still views himself as an alpha you know, top player, top point guard, which I'm, I believe he does, I don't have any reason not to believe he does, uh, then it's just not a fit for OKC. I, I don't think so. I saw somewhere the other day where, uh, you know, Twitter's full of bad takes. Um, I think, you know, we all have them. Uh, let's just go ahead and say that before I further with this. But um, there were people who were legitimately trying to say after the Heat loss to Boston in Game 7 that they, if they had Russell Westbrook, they would have won. And I was like, no, no, I, I really don't think so. Um, it just gave me a good laugh. And then they're like, well, if they had a Westbrook or a John Wall, that would really help out Jimmy Butler. And I was like, I don't think so. No, 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 definitely not. Yeah, I, I, I think that Russ will have a better year than he had this past season. Um, but how far does that take you? And as he has a better season, does he then ruin it by going back to sort of old habits that didn't get him to that good season? So it's just a big mess. And it's unfortunate that it's came to this. It's unfortunate that one of the best players to ever play the game, like it or not, is is viewed this way on NBA Twitter and is treated this way in NBA Twitter. Uh, but then again, if we had NBA Twitter 50 years ago, who's to say that Bob Cousy wouldn't have the same treatment at the end of his career? So this is just what we have to learn how to deal with. Now. This is some JJ Redick on ESPN, haven't you, Ryland? <laughs> a, a little bit. But this is, this is really a case study. It's the first time that NBA Twitter's gotten to see a player's entire career in this internet landscape and yeah. has gotten to see the rise and fall of them. Are we going to do this to LeBron? Probably not. Uh, you know, not same persons anyway. There's always going to be Le LeBron, LeBron accounts out there, but I don't think that realistic people are going to do that to LeBron. But will we do this to Paul George whenever his career is starting to decline or Steph or whoever? I guess we'll see. But something about Russ has always been polarizing and it's not stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I grew up loving Russell Westbrook. So, um, you know, obviously seeing what happened this past year was definitely a bummer. Um, but, you know, it, we, we we digress. Uh, we're not here to talk about him anymore. And it's uh, amazing talking about the draft. You're getting us back on the draft topic. How everyone hates Russell Westbrook until draft time. Then all of a sudden, John Morant's, <laughs> John Morant's Russell Westbrook Jr. Jaden Ivey's Russell Westbrook Jr. Like how many times have we seen an athletic point guard be called Russell Westbrook? But I thought he was a bum and you hated him. Like how can you compare one of your prized picks and prize best in the draft to Russell Westbrook? So it, it just shows how disingenuous people are on Twitter and how it's anything for a joke. Westbrook, you know, Westbrook and LeBum get you interactions and being rational doesn't really do that. And Anthony Data Davis. Do they have the most nicknames yes. of all time? Anthony yes. Davis, LeBaum, Le Mickey Mouse Ring, and Russell Westbrook. It's street clothes. Don't forget about Anthony Street Clothes Davis. That's one oh, too. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, our, our guys on our show are big fun, big fans of that one. So let's go back to the Thunder. Let's talk about this. That's why you're here. That's why you're giving me some time on this beautiful Memorial Day. Um, we've brought up Shea Gilgis Alexander a few times and haven't really gotten an in-depth conversation with him. And obviously, you talk about the prize of the Paul George trade. You know, all the draft picks are fantastic, but getting an all-star, let alone one of the best two-way players in basketball who's still improving and still getting better. It's pretty awesome. I'm a huge, huge Shea fan. One of my favorite players in the league. Stacked up on Shea rookie cards because I knew he'd be a really good NBA player and people weren't were selling him for cheap. Um, so I'm very excited about having that stock. So kind of seeing, you know, you mentioned him and Giddy are the untouchables and they are 100%. And they are two of the most elite basketball, I mean, I should say, Shea is becoming one of the most elite basketball players as far as like the two-way perimeter defender and still continuing to improve and still become a better offensive player while also just being the leader of the team and being the best player. So like, what is this maturation process like as a Thunder fan watching what SGA is becoming? I think that it's been awesome because we've seen almost every avenue. We've seen him as kind of that third guard in, in that death lineup of Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and SGA in the, in the bubble season where before the pandemic, they were trending for home court advantage in the playoffs. Uh, that yeah. game against Utah was to decide who was the fourth seed in March. And if you're the fourth seed on March 11th, you're in a really good spot in the season in a traditional NBA year. Uh, and so then the bubble happens. They they end up facing off with Houston. They take it to game seven, had a chance to win it. But, you know, Billy Donovan and his annex at the end of games aren't very good and conducive to winning in the playoffs, in my opinion. So, you know, okay. you lost the series. Yeah. You lost it. And, he, and SGA at times looked scared that series and at times didn't play his best. It's not all the pressure off SGA, but we've seen him play with co-stars, with a Chris Paul that was resurgence with a Dennis Schroeder that should have won six man of the year uh, with, a, with a rising Lou Dort, whatever he ended up being offensively uh, broke out for 30 plus points in the bubble in the playoffs uh, in game seven. But still, you know, we've seen Russ, I should say, we've seen SGA play with other guys. We also saw him play without Horford, George Hill the next year. And then we saw him play as the alpha, which was starting last year, but then, you know, Alford shut down and SGA's injury somewhat coincided together. So we never get to see him be totally on his own with no veteran help. This year, uh, we saw SGA play being the guy. This is your franchise. Your name's on the uh, on the tickets. Your face is on the posters. This is your franchise. And the only selling point the Thunder have, really, in terms of this, whenever you want to look at this long-term, there's only 30 franchises. So if you're one of the guys of a franchise, and oh, by the way, it's a franchise ran by one of the best teams in the sport. You have historic draft capital. You have a flexibility and, a, and an ability to improve this team at any time. That is some that is some good praise and good selling points to stick around OKC uh, whenever it's one of 30. If you, if you ask for a trade to a team that's already had a solidified star, you're now none of 30 and you're not even a, fra- a face of the franchise kind of guy. So he is the face of the franchise. They're marking it as such. Uh, he is their guy. Uh, it's been awesome to watch him kind of evolve from every which way, playing off ball his first year, playing more on ball his second year in OKC. And then last year, he had the GQ article before the year saying he wants to be the best point guard ever. And so this is his now role of, wanted to be a point guard. He's, he stated that from the word go in OKC, they wants to be a point guard. He adapted to Chris Paul and adapted to Dennis Schroeder and played off ball some, also played on ball during that season. And then now he's into that role of just being a full-time point guard. And so that's awesome for the Thunder. The only issue with this is that five-year window starts now. His, mat, his max contract kicks in on July 1st. And as we saw from Kevin Durant, as we saw from even Russell Westbrook, who's lofted and praised for his extensions that he signed with OKC, it only went a couple years past that nine-year window that you get with talent in OKC. So albeit for totally different reasons, I'm not bashing Russ, but 
you're not guaranteed much longer, if any longer than nine years whenever you draft a guy in a market like OKC. And you're already down to five with SGA if you started to win on July 1st. The Thunder are not going to win next year. They're down to now four. So your first time bursting on the scene you know, as a postseason team, you're not going to make a miraculous run to the finals more than likely. That's a stepping stone year. Then you've got to learn how to play in the finals and learn how to play in the playoffs. Then you got to reach the finals. Now we're down to like three or two years left of Shea on this current deal with no guarantee he wants to stay long-term. So that's the only form of pressure the Thunder have. If he was closer to that Josh Giddy mark where Josh Giddy now has eight years left in OKC where he just can't move, I mean, again, he's going to have to sign that extension, but we've never seen a player turn it down. We probably will never see a player turn it down uh, at all, period. So you're, you draft the guy and you're locked in for nine years. That's the bottom line in the NBA. For baseball, it's six years. For football, whatever it is. But nine years is what you have in the NBA whenever you draft the guy. Giddy's has eight years left. Shea has five years left. That's the only disparaging part. That's the only pressure point part for OKC. Can you build a championship team in the next five years? And then can it sustain past whatever happens with SGA, whether he leaves on his own, whether you trade him in year five, whatever it is, can you sustain something past SGA? And can you build it around for SGA? And even can you get a commitment to that he'll stay past these five years? Yeah, I know it's, you know, it was many summers ago now, it feels like. But when the trade went down, you know, it was like 5 a.m. out here and um, waking up in the middle of the night and seeing the the trade happen for Paul George to go to the Clippers. And I was like, oh, OK, that's interesting. And it's like draft pick, draft pick, draft pick. Shea Gills Alexander. And it was like, wait, what? And it was like, OK, well, the Thunder won that trade. I don't care what Paul George does. And, you know, I'm not trade winning kind of guy. I kind of hate that conversation. It is hilarious to me when people do that, but seeing what has been happening with the Clippers, as far as like losing in the second round or, you know, this year, not even making the playoffs and losing in the play in and seeing the thunder continue to grow and add talent while having an all-star, it makes that trade a little bit more. I mean, it's always a good trade for them, uh, but it makes that look like more like as far as the quote unquote, who won the trade kind of lean in their favor. Yeah. And they got Gallinari from that trade who they did a sign trade with the Hawks uh, the following off season with. So they did get an additional That's asset right. for the Gallinari. So it was always a big win for OKC, especially whenever you factor in Paul George didn't have to do that. Like Paul George could have just said, Hey, I'm leaving trade me right now. I'm going to the Clippers. He could have done what every other star player does. He kept it under wraps. Credit to Paul George, Sam Presti kept it under wraps. Credit to Sam Presti. And they pulled the strings that they needed and used Kawhi's leverage. Now, did Kawhi hurt the Clippers by saying, I'm not going to go there unless you get Paul George, go get him right now? Probably. Did Paul George hurt the Clippers by not by not demanding a trade publicly and saying publicly it's only the Clippers? Probably. But the Thunder took advantage of it. And I will say, it's surprising to hear me talk in favor of the Clippers. Despite giving away almost all their assets, they've still built a pretty deep team. And this year, if you would have told me that Kawhi never plays and Paul George still deals with some injuries this year, I would have thought that they'd done a lot worse than 12th. And they finished 12th yeah. in the standings in terms of the draft pick. In terms of the draft pick, the Thunder gets its 12th overall. I would have thought that, that pick would have been a lot higher had you told me all those things. And for the Clippers, all those draft picks and even Shea be damned if you go win one title. And so next year, they're the very deep team. It's a big if, but if Paul George and Kawhi stay healthy all year, that team's going to be in the title into title contention. If they win one title, all of those draft picks and everything else mean nothing. Now, if the Thunder build a team that can go win six titles, like the like the Warriors or whatever, then they start to mean something. But until then, as long as you get one, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because you're you sold your soul for a title and you got the title. That's all that that's all you're really going for whenever you make an all-in move like that. Uh, it reminds me of, of, of trades in baseball that happen all the time, like the Royals trading away an entire pitching staff. They get Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobrist, two guys who only played half a season in Kansas City. 
but they won the World Series. So it worked out and it, and it didn't really matter in the end because you got that World Series in a market that's never supposed to win. And the Clippers, even though they're in LA, they're always going to be looked down upon as the little brother. They have the shared arena for now. They're building that new arena, that fancy state-of-the-art arena with all those urinals. But, you know, they are a team that's always been second fiddle. And to get put on the map as a guy's demand to come to your organization, whenever he could have gone to the Lakers in the sense of Kawhi or Paul George, both of them could have gone to the, to the Lakers at one point in their careers. Uh, you know, whenever that happens for you, you take that opportunity. And whenever you get that opportunity, if you want a title, that's even better. But I do have to commend the Clippers for building this roster that I like their depth on it, uh, even without, even while being hamstrung with assets. I um, was, I, I root into a podcast on one of those teams that traded you, jo- traded the Royals, Johnny Cueto. So I remember it very well. Yeah, one of my right. all time favorites. One of my all time favorites. I miss them. Um, happy to see him doing well with the White Sox. Pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh really funny that you brought that up. I forgot that you also do locked on Royals, don't you? Yep. Yeah, yeah. You guys want Mike Mustakis back? I think we'll pass on that. No, I mean it's really, really having a really good, really good year, you know? Contract's <laughs> not that bad. Yeah, moving Mustakis for Carlos Santana, I'll send it over tomorrow. Sure, sure. You know, is it contract Carlos Santana expiring? Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Love it. Because you got two more years of Mike Mustakis. All right. So with that being said, uh catch you on here for a little bit uh what to kind of go through and kind of get your best guesses obviously here um so we started this last week with uh philip rossman reich of orlando magic daily and locked on magic and he had the obviously picking first overall took jabari smith of auburn um so i know this is probably the easiest thing possible for you is knowing that one of the two is off the board but for number two at the oklahoma city thunder ryland styles is selecting chet holmgren Easy. Everyone knows. Everyone sees it. Love it. Um, this is where it gets tricky because we're basically like, who's going to be there? And you have no way to tell because you have to pick before the nine people before you pick for the 12th pick. Your best guess at who's there at 12 in the Thunder take. I'm hoping it's AJ Griffin or Benedict Matherin. I'm betting it's Jeremy Sohan. So I'll take Jeremy Sohan. Uh, and if he's not there, then give me uh, Usman Dieng. I don't see that he'll jump in the lottery. So I think that's a safe bet. If uh, Sohan's not there, I'll put Sohan in on the expertise mock for you. If that's what you want me to do. I think that Duran goes higher than 12, sadly. So I think that Duran will be gone. I think that it's kind of the, to make it simple in terms of not knowing who the picks ahead of us are. uh, I'll go Sohan or Dieng. Cool. Awesome. And then lastly, last question before we get you out of here. If you had to make an educated guess on who wins the NBA championship as it starts on Thursday, who are you taking? My heart says Celtics in seven for Al Horford, Thunder legend. My head says Warriors in six. But all I'm hoping for is seven very close games. I don't want to give up the NBA season until we absolutely have to and then dive into the draft and everything else. Perfect. Yeah, I am the opposite. I really want the Warriors to win. Um, I am the Chicago Bulls fan, so I loathe the Celtics. Um, so, But I do love Jason Tatum. How could you not? Uh, so... Hey, man, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for working around my schedule and making this happen. Um, Before we get you out of here, uh, if you want to take a second to kind of shout out where people can find your work, your podcast, what anything you want to shout out, please take a second to do so. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rylan underscore styles. You can follow the show on Twitter, LO Thunder Pod. Uh, you can find Lockdown Thunder anywhere. Lockdown Thunder is on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast from. And then also search up thundersintentions.com as well uh, for written work over there. Awesome. Rylan, definitely appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to definitely do this again soon. 
Um, so For we're sure. going to go and wrap up this week's edition of the Bench Mob here on the 40 Minutes Basketball Network, trying to get a little NBA Finals preview ski together, uh, working the details on that. We'll keep you guys updated. But have a good night, and we'll talk soon.